And uh, we're looking at eight questions to ask before I decide to marry. Eight questions to ask before I decide to marry. We'll probably do half of it this week and half of it next week. Okay, get those out. Eight questions to ask before I decide to marry. Now, this passage, this uh, message is based on 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I'm not going to take the time to read through that whole chapter, but you might want to take, a t- take time to read through it yourself. It's, 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 a, uh, it's unusual because of the case that Paul makes in the chapter about singleness. Now, he's writing in this, uh, uh, this thing during a time when there's something going on. There's some, we don't know exactly what's happening, a persecution. There's some kind of thing that's, that's happening at the time. And... Um, and, uh, and he's speaking to an issue, and the issue was basically that the Jews had a perspective that the only kind of life that, um, that basically was really acceptable was to be married. They worked from Genesis chapter 2, for example, saying, the Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone, and I will make him a helper uh, suitable for him. So... In this environment, Paul begins to speak, and he goes strong for singleness in this passage. So it's, it's, you don't see this very often. And so it, it, it definitely would be worth you taking some time to read through it and think about it a, a little bit. Now, understand, Paul's, he, he, he's trying to make this statement basically saying, hey, look, uh, marriage is good, but singleness is good too. He's, he, he's not saying one is better than the other or one is higher than the other. He's just trying to say both of these seasons of life have validity and have value and have, have worth. And he's, it, this is what he's, and all through the passage, he makes this argument over and over and over again, basically saying, yeah, this marriage is okay, but being single is okay also. And he, and he, and he pushes in some ways. Now, marriage is, uh, excuse me, Paul is a strong supporter of marriage. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Timothy 3. And uh, in Hebrews uh, uh, 13, 4, he says, let marriage be held in honor among all in the book of Hebrews. So there, this is not a, uh, an argument against marriage or we shouldn't have marriage. This is an argument about engaging in life during the season that you are in. It's not saying marriage is great and singleness is better. Or that he's, saying, he's saying, look, whatever season you find yourself in, whatever place you find yourself in right now in your life, you, you need to break away from passivity and you need to engage. You need to go for it. Not put your life on hold waiting for somebody or something to come along or, or this kind of thing. So uh, looking in your notes, let's look at some of the questions that we see in the passage. Okay, number one. What is my gift? What is the will of God for my life today? Remember now, this is eight questions you need to ask before you get married. What is my gift and what is the will of God for my life today? Now, before I answer that, how do you like my beard? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. I don't know how long it'll last, but we're in, we're in right now. We're in. We're in all the way. And uh, how about my tan? You like my tan? Down there. It's just, it's just basically my neck from here up. But, but, you know, it's something. Okay, so I look Latino. Yeah. 
you know, I, I am actually, you know, my, my name sounds so Irish, Michael Patrick Cavanaugh, but I'm actually half Italian and half Irish. Half Italian and half Irish, so. Now, I, I haven't done 23andMe yet, so I don't know, maybe there's other stuff in there too, but that, that's, uh, that's what we know. Okay. All right, back to the sermon. Number one, what is my gift? What is the will of God for my life today. And Paul says this, I wish that all men were as I am. What he's talking about is singleness right now. He says, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. So the first question should not be, uh, should I get married? But the first question is, what is my gift, or to say it another way, because you are gifted for a purpose, what am I here for? What am I, why did, why did it's, it's not a question of should I get married. The first question that I need to answer before I can, under, before I can take any steps toward marriage is I've got to get a hold of this issue of why am I on planet Earth? What is my purpose? What is my gift? Until a person defines their direction, they lack the essential information to make wise decisions. How can you discern a life partner until you have a life mission? Right? If you don't have a life mission, if you're not engaging right now as a single person and connecting up with your sense of purpose and mission and calling, and if you're not getting a clear picture of that, how can you possibly verify when you interact with somebody else, this person is going in the same direction I'm going in, or they're not going in the same direction that I'm going in? How can you do that, right? And so this is why it's so important for us to get a, to get a hold of this. A lot of people have kind of a, a perspective that says, I don't want to have any direction in my life because the moment I have direction, I'm kind of shutting out options, right? Like, like if I say, if I come to the place that I say, you know, I'm going to Africa, then all at once, if you're not going to Africa, you just have dropped out of my option list, right? So instead what happens, and this is, what, this is the thing that, that goes on with people, is they don't want to make any clarifying, they don't want to get a clarifying sense of vision for fear that if they get a clarifying sense of vision, it will close down opportunities for them. And they would rather kind of be just open. If you look in your, in your notes, it has a, a singles myth and a singles truth, right? And the singles myth is this. If I don't have direction, I'm more available to respond when the right person comes along. And the singles truth is this. A person with no direction, I call him a dust bunny, is not attractive to a person with direction. Okay, so what are we, what are we talking about when I say a dust bunny? What am I talking about? Does anybody know what a dust bunny is? You ever heard that expression before? What's a dust bunny? That's right. It's a small, it, usually it, it, it forms a lot of times underneath your bed or something, right? You look under the bed and here's this clump of dust, you know. Now the thing about a dust bunny, that's what you call this clump of dust. The thing about a dust bunny is a dust bunny is not going anywhere. 
right? A dust bunny is just waiting. A dust bunny is hoping you'll walk by because maybe you have a little static charge on you and it will kind of pull that dust bunny along in your direction. But the dust bunny isn't going anyplace, you see? And a lot of people, that's exactly the way they live their lives. They live their lives like dust bunnies. They don't have a sense of mission. They don't have a sense of vision. They don't have a sense of calling. They don't see themselves as an individual, not as a, a possible married team or something like that, but they don't see themselves as an individual having a purpose, a calling, a destiny. They're just waiting. They're kind of loitering in the halls of life, hoping that Mr. Right or Miss Right will come by, and when that person comes by, all at once they'll be able to connect with them and, uh, and, and life will start, things will begin, things will start happening at that point. See, the singles myth says, if I don't have direction, I'm more available to respond when the right person comes along. But the truth is, a person with no direction is not attractive to a person with direction. How do you know if their direction, if you look at the other person, how do you know if their direction is correct for you unless you confirm it with a personal sense of direction? Many people, their lives, I'm talking about single people now, their lives are on hold over this issue of singleness. They're like um, uh, people in a buffet line, you know? Some people are so good in buffet lines, aren't they? I mean, their plates are like construction projects. You know what I'm saying? They can build the thing up. They put floors in, levels, you know, other kinds of things to, to move their way through the, uh, through, through the buffet line. But I don't know if you've ever had the experience, maybe at a wedding or that kind of thing, where you came up to the buffet line. And, you know, often the buffet line, uh, in the beginning, it has kind of like the less desirable things, right? Salad and a little potato and, you know, this kind of thing. But the entree, the really good stuff, usually is at the end, right? So when you go through the buffet line, you're, you try to say, okay, let me, you know, got to keep my options, keep my plate open, you know, keep my options open. And so I'll take a little bit of that. Okay, that's good. A little bit of that. Because in your mind, you're thinking, when I get to the end, wow, that's going to be, and I'm going to really have room on my plate to load up for the good stuff, see? They're moving through like that. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience, I've had this happen to me, where I got into the buffet line, and I was going, okay, I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, because my expectation was something really good was coming at the end, and I got all the way through and found out what I thought was really something good was actually just stacked dishes. You know, they just had put some dishes down at the end, and I thought something more was coming, but nothing more actually was coming. And, and, I come, and all at once I find myself at the end of the buffet line and my plate is only half full because I thought I would be able to get it. You know. Now, if that happens in a buffet line, all you do is go, excuse me, excuse me, you know, and you go back and you know, grab a few things to fill your plate up, right? But what if that happens to you in life, right? What if you're moving through your 20s and you're saying, okay, you know, I, there's something good coming for me down here. I'm just going to take a little of that. And, you know, somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, you could be a part of campus starting to go to China. Well, you know, I don't think so. You know, if I say China, that's going to limit me. I'll just take a little of this. I'll take a little of that. Thinking to yourself that you're going to make maybe that magic encounter, that relationship is going to have something that's going to happen. You come all the way through this thing. You get to the end, and all at once you realize, listen, I, I've been around, I've seen people go through their 20s, go through their 30s, go through their 40s, 
and find themselves at a place where, where they put their whole life on hold waiting for somebody to come along, waiting for somebody to make life happen for them. And the fact is they just missed out on life. It just, uh, the whole thing just, uh, just didn't, didn't happen. And this is the way it is. I remember one time I was um, visiting with, uh, with a guy. I was speaking at a, a conference, and he invited me to come over to his house. Young guy. He's probably about maybe 28 years old, and, but he had, was already an executive uh, in a business. And, and uh, he, you know, I'm following him to his house and the car I'm in, and, and he lives in a gated community. You know, we go in. Here's this beautiful house, big, beautiful house. I go into the house, and the house... I don't know how to describe it. It's like decorated, you know, Habitat for Humanity or something. Early, early Salvation Army. You know, he's got an overturned wire spool for a kitchen table. He's got beanbag chairs for a living room couch. He's got cement blocks and boards for a bookcase. And, and, and I, you know, he's in this beautiful community, this, you know, I mean, very ritzy community. So after I get to know the guy a little bit, I say to him, uh, I say, hey, what's, what's with the furniture? And he says, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, you live in such a beautiful community and stuff like that. Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you, you know, buy some furniture? And he says to me, he says, well, he says, I was going to buy some furniture, but then I thought to myself, what if Miss Wright doesn't like the furniture I buy? Right? What if Miss Wright doesn't like the furniture I buy? So now this is not like, this is not like he's going out with, you know, uh, Gloria, and Gloria doesn't like colonial, and therefore he's waiting till he makes it. He's not going out with anybody, right? This is Miss Wright. She doesn't exactly exist in space and time. You know, so you see what I'm saying? She is like an ideal of what could be somewhere someday down the line. And because he might meet somebody somewhere down the line that might not like the furniture choices that, he's, that he would make, he's living his life today in a junkyard. You with me? Now, that's a picture of uh, furniture, but I'm telling you something. I know a lot of single people that are living their life in a junkyard today because they've put their life on hold because they said, I can't, you, you know, they kind of saw, they see getting married like a, like, like a graduation. It's like now they're still kind of, they're not really graduated. They're not really, it's not really finished, you know. But when I get married, then all the pieces are going to come together for me. You know, kind of a, uh, a knight in shining armor kind of syndrome, you know, like a, I'm sleeping beauty and I'm, I'm laying there and I'm waiting because when this knight in shining armor comes, he is going to kiss me and I am going to wake up and then things are going to be so exciting and so great. You know, so here you are three years at Elam, you're sleeping your whole three years, you know. Waiting for Mr. Wright to come along to give you a kiss to wake you up. Listen, ladies, let me say something to you. Your prince already came 2,000 years ago. And he, he, he has kissed you with a kiss that is absolutely life-transforming. And you don't have to wait around, you know. A lot, of, a lot of guys have kind of that princess and the frog view of life. You know what I mean? They, you know, they feel a little froggy, a little green around the edges. And, and they think to themselves, you know, when the right person comes along, 
They're going to see my potential and they're going to kiss me and I'm going to be transformed from the frog I kind of am right now to the real prince, you know, that I, that I can be kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I want to say something to you guys. If you feel a little froggy, it's probably because you're a frog. And the best choice that you can make is not to wait for somebody to come and kiss you and transform your life. What you need to do is to say, you know what? I may be limited. I may be a frog, but I'm going to be the best frog I can possibly be. I'm going to I'm going to go for it with everything that I got. I'm going to Listen, when you have that spirit on you, you are attractive. You are attractive because you have a, there's like a destiny. You know, it's, it's like this person is going somewhere. They have a mission. They have a calling. They have something they want to do. So you got to get a grip on that, that sense right there. Okay, let's keep rolling. Number two, second question I need to answer. What are my weaknesses? What are my weak? These are questions I need to answer before I can get married. What are my weaknesses? But if they cannot control themselves, Paul says, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. What's he saying? He's saying my weaknesses have an impact on whether I should marry and who I should marry. Do I have self-control issues? Do I have anger issues? Do I have addictions? Listen, here's the myth. The myth is... I need to find the right person. The truth is, I need to become the right person, right? See, it, it, all of us have weaknesses in this, in this place. And if, if you're sitting around thinking to yourself, well, if I could just find the right person, my weaknesses would be taken care of. Your weaknesses are not going to be taken care of by finding the right person. As a matter of fact, um, Marriage never solves problems. Let me just say that to you. A lot of people think marriage is going to solve problems for them. Marriage never solves problems. When, when, when you're a single person, picture a box. You're like a box, a little box, and inside that box are all of your problems. Your problems are bouncing off of... But, you know, after a lifetime of living with your problems, you kind of get used to them. You know, there's only so many times this problem can hit this problem in that little box. You know, you're, you're kind of there. But when you get married, it's like you take another person who has their own little set of problems and you put the two boxes next to each other and you pull out the middle wall. Now we got problems bouncing off of problems that we never dreamed about before. Right? You got things happening. Marriage never solves Problems. If you think, you know, you're, you know, a lot of people, they, 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 they get a kind of view, you know, uh, you know, I'm feeling kind of lonely, you know, and, and, you know, we went, went over there to New York City with Nysum, and, you know, I, I stood there looking out, you know, from the, from the, um, uh, the, the, the barge there that goes across the ferry, Staten Island ferry, looking over at, at the, the, the Statue of Liberty, you know, and I just thought to myself, I just, I just wish... I had somebody to share this moment with. You know, I'm just all by myself all the time. You know, I'm just a lonely person. I'm just a lonely person. And you start thinking to yourself, if I could just get married, all of my loneliness would go away. 
Now listen, I've been around a long time dealing with a lot of counselors and counseling situations, and all the counselors, they all tell me the same thing. You know the loneliest people on the planet? The loneliest people on the planet are not single people. The loneliest people on the planet are married people who have lost the ability to communicate with one another, that lay their heads down on a pillow at night in, in the suffocating darkness of a room where no real communication is possible. Those are the loneliest people on the planet. I'm telling you right now, marriage never solves problems. You know, some people think marriage will solve my sexual problems. You know, I've got, uh, got this problem with pornography and if I just had the righteous relationship of marriage, I wouldn't, I wouldn't struggle anymore with pornography. Well, first of all, just think for two seconds. Do you think all of the pornography that is sold is sold to single people? No, it's sold to all kinds of people. You want to know why? Because the problems I have as a single person do not go away when I get married. If I don't wrestle with that issue now in my singleness, if I don't work my way through that thing now, I, you know, I, I remember back uh, a long time ago, a guy, a guy, uh, actually it was a gal who came to me, and she said, she said, I married this guy. She said, his pastor, he went to his pastor, he was struggling with a, a sexual addiction issue. He went to his pastor, his pastor said, you know what your problem is, you just need to get married. You know, if you get married, this is the thinking. Listen now. If you get married, then in marriage, the righteous relationship of marriage, you will find the satisfaction that you're longing for, and you will not be drawn by these things anymore. And, of course, this was not at all what happened. She, they ended up getting married, and the guy was still tremendously bound by this thing. And they're not, uh, you, you know, going through all kinds of suffering and pain and everything else because they thought that this this deliverance would come with marriage. Marriage does not bring that deliverance. What brings that deliverance is me right now facing the issues of what I'm struggling with, doing the hard work to become the kind of person that someone would want to marry, right? I want to become the kind of person. It's not I want to find the right person. I want to become the kind of person. You know, the, the, the simple reality is that the righteous relationship of marriage, you know, the, the way the Bible talks about it in Proverbs, it says stolen water is sweet. What it's saying is this. If you develop in your life a taste for the forbidden, for that which is stolen, if you develop that, that doesn't go away. You're de you, you've cultivated a taste for the forbidden. And then the righteous relationship of marriage does not satisfy that. Because it's not, it's not that you're just looking for a sexual relationship. You're looking for the stolen, the thrill of the stolen, the forbidden, see? And, uh, and so you just have to come to this realization that, that, that uh, it, does not, it does not solve problems. It, it, it just doesn't happen. Okay, number three. Marriage doesn't do it. Number three. Does this decision... To marry, produce peace. Very important question. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Very important issue. Do you have the peace of God in what you're doing? I can remember one of the first couples that I ever, um, as a pastor, ever counseled, right, to, to help them. They were marriage preparation, right, to get married. So they come in to my, uh, to my office to sit down with me for us to talk. And uh, I can tell something is not right. These people are, there's something going on here, some tension, something happening. So I get them talking, and after a little while it comes out that the guy got mad at her, and he got so angry that he punched her. Why would I lie to you? Do you ever think I lie to you? Okay. So he got so angry that he punched her, right? And uh, now, let me just tell you right now. If, if the guy is punching you when you're engaged, are you with me? Things are not going to get better from there, right? People, when they're engaged, they're on the best behavior that they've ever been on in their whole lives, right? They're trying to, you know, do the right things and try to get their head there. So, so I, I, even at my young age at that time, I'm saying to myself, this is, not a good, this is not a good situation. And so finally, I'm trying to think, how can I guide them? How can I help them in this process? And so I say to them, I ask this question. I said, do you have peace about what you're doing right now? Do you have peace about what you're doing? And she says, well, the, the dresses are ordered. I said, I said okay, I get, I get the dresses are ordered. You know, I said, but I'm asking a question. Do you have peace about what you're doing? He says, the invitations have all been sent out. I said, well, just hang on. Do you, are you at peace about what you're doing? And after a little while, she looked at me and she said, no, I'm, I'm not at peace. And I said, well, I, I don't think you should do this. I said, it's much better for us to struggle with shutting down a, a, a premature wedding ceremony than it, I said, than it is for you to get married and who knows what the heck happens. You may have kids and the people are fed, all this kind of stuff. I said, I don't think you should do this. I can remember uh, she called her mother. I was right in the room. And she called her mother to tell her she was going to call off the wedding. And I could hear, you know, the, on the, you know, the, the voice of the mother. You know, what? You know, it's, are you in a cult? This is a crazy thing. You know, the mother is screaming, you know. And she said, well, you know, I talked to the pastor. Pastor, he must be nuts. You know, and just, just absolute berserk. They, so finally, anyway, she stands, she stands up to it. She doesn't end up getting married uh, in that situation. Now, of course, years later, I'm the hero because she went and found a really awesome guy that, they, that uh, she connected up with. They, they, you know, they had ended up with a beautiful relationship, touched many lives, you know, did all kinds of tremendous things. But, but, but it came out of a very difficult time where they stepped back from something. Why? Because they didn't have peace. This is what the, in your notes, the singles myth. 
The singles myth says, if I don't set a goal, take the initiative, and make a relationship happen, I'll miss my chance for marriage. But the single truth says this, if you seek God's will and his peace every day, you'll be exactly where God wants you, okay? If I don't set a goal, take the initiative and make a relationship happen. I was talking one time on a, uh, on a radio show and uh, the, the, the interviewer said, but what? he said, wait a minute. I talked about some of this stuff. He says, he says, doesn't the Bible say that he who finds a wife finds a good thing? And, uh, and it does say that. But you have to understand that word find in that passage. That word find there means to find along the way, not to search for. See, if, I, if I'm walking along... And as I'm walking along, going, you know, I got, I got a path over here, someplace I'm on my way to. And as I'm going on my way, if I look over and I see $100 laying on, the, on the, the road, that's a great deal. Wow, there's $100 laying on the road. But if I somehow got it into my mind, maybe there's hundreds of dollars laying all over the place that, I'm, that I just haven't paid attention to. And so instead of just finding along the way, I lived my life searching all the time, looking, could it be, could this be the place, let me see, is there, you know, I don't know, is this the, you know, see, searching. See, there's a difference between finding along the way and searching, right? You don't need to search for a relationship. You need to get filled with the vision of where it is God is calling you, what it is you're supposed to be doing, what your mission is. What, and as you go after that mission, after, as you go after that vision, as you go after that thing, if you find somebody who's going in the same direction, has the same heart, hallelujah, right? I remember a woman came up to me and she said, uh, she said, she said you know what we call that in my church? And I said, what? She said, the bride of Frankenstein syndrome. Bride of Frankenstein. I said, well, I didn't understand what she was saying. What, what do you mean by that? She says, what will happen? She says, one of the sisters or one of the brothers will, will um, get into that search mode, you know. And instead of focusing on where they're called, they start digging around in the dirt trying to find some kind of relationship. I remember she looked at me. She said, you know, if you dig in the dirt, there's no telling what you're going to find. And she said, and they end up, they ended up, you know, finding this person. You know, many times people, there are certain things that trigger insecurities in people. Maybe it's, um, uh, you know, a certain age, you know. I always thought I would be married by the time I was 30, you know. And now I'm 30, and I'm not married. And, oh, you know. And there's like this fear that comes over them. And this feeling of, I got to do something. This thing is going by. I got to do something. You know, I'm going to lose out here. I got to do something. And they start digging around trying to find something, trying to make something happen. And maybe they meet somebody and, and, they, and they, okay, okay, and they end up getting married, you know. And now they feel, oh, I'm okay. That shows I'm okay. That shows I'm lovable. I, I got married. It, it proves I'm okay. And they, they end up, you know, making something happen. But now they're attached to somebody. Somebody who was never going in the same direction they were going in, never had the same vision that they had, never had the same mission. They gave all that up to, to, to satisfy that feeling that I'm lovable, I'm okay, right? 
They gave all that up. And so never going in that same way. And so now here they are trying to follow God like a drag, you know, kind of drag, you know, drag. Because this person was never going that way. Wouldn't it be so much better for you to get filled with your vision, filled with your calling, going after the things of God? And in that process, as you do, to look over and go, hey, hi, where are you going? Really? I'm going there too. Hey, you want to go together? Wouldn't that be fun? You know, let's go together. That's a great thing, see? Two, that's when two are better than one, right? You hear that? Two are better than one. Now, I know even at your age, you've already seen relationships that you look at the two people and you think to yourself, you know what? These two people are not better than one. Matter of fact, they, when they got together, it was like they became worse than one, right? Are you with me? They, they, they actually magnified the worst in each other. They're not, two are not better than one. But you see, God's goal for you is that two will be better than one. And, and you, know, you know, the Bible says the two shall become one flesh. It's not, it's not half people. See, and that's the way it is a lot of times. Insecure people people who are leveling themselves to be driven by fear. They're people who feel like half people. And, and they're trying to find the other half. And they're thinking to themselves, half plus half will make a whole. I'll be a whole person if I can find my other half. But that's not what the Bible says. It says two shall become one. What does that mean? Two whole, complete, fulfilled people joining together by a miracle, God takes two and turns them into one powerful new entity. Are you with me? Not half people. You get two half people together, you don't end up with one whole marriage. You end up with a mess. Okay. Let's just, uh, let's just take a moment to, to pray now. Can we do that? I realize, you know, when I, I, I talk about these issues, for some of you, you're just kind of like sitting here, oh, that's interesting, you know, kind of thing. But other people that are here, when I'm talking, it's like the voice of God is just like pounding through their head. And they just, and these are serious things I'm talking about. And they can look at themselves and go, you know what, this is exactly, he, what he's describing is exactly the way my brain has been working. And this is wrong. The Lord wants you to surrender to him, to give him the right to make it all come together the way he wants it to come together, and that you will occupy yourself first with your call and mission. Marriage makes a terrible goal for your life. Get filled with God. Get filled with the purpose of God. Go after the things of the Lord. Don't put your life on hold waiting for someone or something to happen that somehow you're going to graduate to another level. It's just not the way it really works. Now, if you feel like the Lord has been speaking to you this morning, just lift both your hands in the air right now, just as a fresh act of surrender. We're going to talk more about this next week, but... Just lifting both of your hands and just saying to God, God, I just ask you to speak to me. I ask you to make this clear. I ask you to work out this, this, this issue in my life. Wherever I've picked up this, 
perspective that somehow I'm half a person, I'm incomplete, that I, that I can't fulfill God's purpose for my life. As a sick. Wherever I have picked this up, Lord, I ask you just to purge my life of this thinking and to fill me with a fresh sense of purpose and calling and mission, Lord. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy. Hallelujah.